Yes. Guys, we have a special treat tonight. We have some guests in the house. We actually have Jana and Jerry Lackey. They are our missions partners from Botswana. And so they are here with us tonight. You guys can stand up and come up forward here. Give them a hand as they come. So good. Bring that to you. Yes. So we've been partnering, Res Life Church, we're partnered with several missionaries all the way around the world. And a lot of the missionaries that we've been supporting, we're supporting for decades. And so we've been supporting and involved with the Lackeys for about 25 years, which has been such a blessing. Um, but I, we, they agreed to come tonight and to share. And so I just wanted to ask you guys the question of what, what really started you guys into missions and when did you guys feel that call? Maybe what was it like as you were kind of starting out into missions? And we'll, we'll start there. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody. Good to be with you tonight. So for me, I think even growing up, always had small encounters with maybe people who had been overseas or missionaries that would speak. And, you know, it wasn't for me, but I kind of felt little seeds being planted in my life. And then uh, I got, I, I, I was in the business world and became somewhat successful, living the American dream, you know, and that's all good. Had the right car, had the right furniture, had the great place to live and all that. Come on. And then God called me. I, I just felt in my heart that I should go to a Bible school. Didn't know what kind of a Bible school because I'd never been to a Bible school and seminary sounded too serious. So I thought, okay, let's go for the Bible <laughs> school. And uh, so I found myself in Houston, Texas, at a church called Lakewood Church back in 1983 and 84. And uh, that's back when Joel Osteen's father was there. You might know Joel, but John Osteen, tremendous man with such a passion for missions. And so I, 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 I went to his school. 83, the year of 83 was pretty good. And then 1984, I watched a film by an evangelist called Dr. T.L. Osborne one of the greatest evangelists of all of our time. I mean, literally the first man to go out and set up a platform in a third world country and say, bring me the sick, bring me the hungry, bring me the lame, and watch what God will do. And, and tremendous signs and wonders followed him. He, he would, you know, uh, literally hundreds of thousands of people would come. I watched a film as just as a, a guy like you guys here today and those that are here tonight, and, and within about 15 minutes of the film, it was a documentary called Black Gold. Now, I'd never been out as far as out of America, maybe to Mexico once or twice, but not very far, and my idea was I'll go to school, you know, I'll learn a few things, and then I'll go back into the business world, and I'll earn a lot of money, and uh, then I'll send some other guys who could do missions, and so I'm, I'm watching this film get into about 15 minutes of it. And I'm watching these beautiful African people and, you know, they're, they're passing their children through the fire and they're worshiping, you know, pagan gods of wood and stone. This is, I didn't know where it was at, but later I found it was in Nigeria. And I wouldn't have known Nigeria from Nicaragua back then. But, but at the time, and I remember watching the film and something happened that has changed the trajectory of my life forever. And in just a few moments, I had an incredible encounter with God, not an emotion, but an encounter with the living God wow. that literally shook me in my seat. Come on. And I found myself weeping with like a classroom of people like you guys. And come on, guys. I mean, you know, yeah. you know when I sit there crying in front of everybody, so I'm like, pull it together. <laughs> and, and I said, God, you know, why am I feeling these emotions? I don't even know these people, you know. It's kind of like that. 
And, um, but I just, God was wrecking my life. And, and so I got up out of the classroom, went to a little prayer shack. Back then it wasn't a fancy church, just a little prefab building, got on my knees. And I, I actually saw like a, a, a computer screen and Isaiah 6, 8 was there and said, who will, you know, who will I, who will go for me and who will I send? And then for some reason, I'm like, here I am, Lord, send me. And I didn't know how it would happen. I, didn't know, I couldn't figure it all out. But I knew that that day when I left that classroom that God had something radical for my life. And um, so then some years later, I was, it's five years to I ever did anything. But then later I found Miss Wonderful here. And, and we met as singles in a church. And she can tell you kind of her version because it's kind of cool how God will take two people, you know, that are very pretty opposite you know we're we're iron sharpens iron a lot of times you know <laughs> but would give us such a passion to give our lives wow. and we've spent 38 years now in Come the nation on. of Botswana yes. and have seen incredible things that are two simple people Jenna tell them a little bit about you hey hi good to see you guys so we have four kids so we've raised four kids in Africa too um, so I was a teenager at 14, kicked out of school, doing drugs, and my mother didn't know what to do with me, gave my life to the Lord supernaturally in a, in a little Christian school service. And um, so mothers, tell your mothers, keep, keep hope, you know. And um, I gave my life, and I was, have you seen the movie Jesus Revolution yet, anybody? Yeah, come on. So I was a Jesus freak. Yes. I was one of them. And uh, it was wonderful, and I was radical, radically saved, truly. And I went to Bible school, and I used to tell teenagers that I was ministering from the time I was 14. I said, you know, to be sold out to Jesus, you don't have to be a fanatic and go to Africa. You know, little did I know that I would be in Bible school studying youth ministry, and God called me to Africa. Wow. And so a similar thing to Jerry happened, and I was in a service, heard a speaker from Swaziland. God touched my heart. I went to the bathroom in my dorm room and shut the door and said the same thing. Here, my Lord, send me. That was a couple of years before him, and we didn't even know each other existed. And so I graduated from Bible school, and... Um, I thought I had my ideas of what it looked like when I was going to go. You know, I was going to go to Johannesburg and work with youth, and, and that was going to be it. And I uh, went to buy my ticket when I graduated, and the Lord said, don't go now, wait. And I was like, I was so scared of getting sucked into the American dream, you know? For, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the American dream. Thank God for America. and Thank God for the people living the dream and supporting missions, right? <laughs> so wherever you, if, whether you've gone on a mission trip or not, one day you need to just because one day you might be someone sending or you might be the person going. Yeah. But Anyway, I, I, I said, okay, Lord, I was obedient, and I just plugged myself into what I could. I found a missionary to support. I made good money, and I gave almost all of it to that missionary in Mexico. I said, Lord, I'm just planting seed because one day I'm going. And uh, I knew that there were standards for my dating life. And how many of you want to hear about that? Anybody? <laughs> hey, no. And so it was, number one, the guy that I married, he had to love Jesus as much as I did. Okay, and number two, and this really narrowed the playing field, but he had to be called Africa. Wow. Imagine that, that, I mean, what are the chances, you know? 
And I said, Lord, I wouldn't mind if he was good looking too. You know? <laughs> well, how, how did Third I do? <laughs> yeah, come on, Jerry. God did pretty good. Yeah, he did real good. So, you know, um, whatever, I want to just encourage you to, whatever God's called you to, you know, whether it's, it's the business field, the ministry, the mission, the world, whatever it is, just be faithful right where you are. You know, so I just went back to my home church and became a youth, youth leader in the home church. I did that for a year. Then I went back to the Bible school, worked with the youth there. I said, Lord, I'm just waiting. And then God sent me back to Houston. Why am I going back to Houston, Texas? That's where I'm from. Um, and But it was, to, it was to cross paths with this guy. And, you know, and so we got married, put our gifts in storage. We didn't know what we were doing. We just knew we were called. We sought counsel from our our missions pastor and our pastor and and they said okay yeah just go spy out the land check it out so we did we went and we spied out the land and we spent about four months in Africa and God put Botswana right in the middle front and center on our hearts and and uh, we went back to Texas and uh, the advice from our missions pastor was get as far away from it as you can and if it's still there in a few months, it's God. And, you know, 38 years later, I can say it's still God, and God's faithful. Wow. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. This is so good. So they, they've been involved in so much. You've been involved in the school system, which is good. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep, you guys can play the slides as, as we're talking here, too. But you guys have been involved in a lot. If you want to share just briefly about what God's doing in Botswana, just to give us give us a... So our story is like, we just don't do this. Okay, don't do this. But, you know, we had this radical call from God. We got married, put our gifts in storage with 300 bucks. That's it, $300. And we launched out, went to Africa. Moved to a village where there was no electricity, no running water. We lived in a tent for the first couple years. No floor in it, rats running over the top of us. And it was awesome. Honestly, it was great, (laughs) you know. We were living our dream. And, you know, we, uh, we began to do what we could, so we began to reach out into the Kalahari Desert to the Bushmen, which if you've ever seen the movie, The Gods Must Be Crazy, the clicking people, they click like that. And so we began to go out and do what we could. We couldn't do much, but, you know, somebody said if uh, you're in a camp of blind people, even a guy with one eye can do some good. And so we went out, and that's where we started. And, you know, we just showed up every day and said, hey, here we are with what we got. And uh, over 38 years, God's raised, Love What Swan is the name of our ministry. It's the largest NGO, non-governmental, faith-based ministry in the nation today. Wow. Uh, we've seen more than 60,000 young people go through our program in our, our senior schools. Uh, we're currently ministering to over 9,000 children a week in the primary schools. Uh, we have a Bible school. We've graduated. So we've planted 15 churches in unreached areas where there's never been the gospel preached before. Now there's 15 churches there among tribes that had never received, you know, the life-changing message of Christ. Uh, we've just seen God do tremendous things out of really two very simple people who just said yes to a call. That's good. And so we've figured this out. You know, it's not so much of what you have. It's what you heard. And if you ever hear the voice of God, if you ever encounter God like Moses did, you'll never be the same. It radically changes you. Mm-hmm. And it did that for Jan and I. And we've been on this great journey for almost 40 years now. And it just keeps getting better all the time. Yes. Amen. 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 Uh, 
So this is so good. We just believe in what you guys are doing. Thank you so much for being here and stoking the flame in our community. The Access community is actually going to have opportunities upcoming and even into 2024 to partner with Jerry and Jana. We're actually sending a mission trip from our Access community. And so there's more details from that to follow here. Um, but is that's going to be such an honor to partner. And so I forgot I was supposed to bring a message to you guys. You know, so we live in the safari hub of Africa. And in my backyard, we have about 150,000 elephants. It's the most populated area um, concentration, concentration of game in, in most of the continent of Africa. And so when they heard that we were coming over, the elephants said, hey, PJ, they called me PJ. They said, hey, PJ, when you see those guys over at Rez, they said, just tell them we tipped our trunk and said, hey, Dumela, how are you doing? Good to see you. Come and see us sometime. Okay, there you go. So we got it from the elephants too. This is great. Love it. Would you? Would we guys would just extend our hands to them? We would love to just pray for you guys as a community. Jesus, we love you, God. Thank you so much, Lord, for Jerry and Jana. Thank you, God, for the simple yes that they have given that has changed, Lord, this world for your kingdom, Lord. And we just pray a blessing and an increase in multiplication in what you're doing in and through their lives, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You are so good. There is nobody like. Like you only you could do what you've done in Botswana and we we bless your hand at work Lord in Jesus name amen amen thank you guys so much God bless you guys thank you all right at this time I'm gonna welcome Pastor Nick to come up he's sharing a word with us tonight so give it up for him as he's coming up that's awesome I love a message from the elephants that's a I'm gonna journal that one tonight all right, let me get my clicker. You guys doing good tonight? Good. So we're in the, the middle of a series. Let me see here. There we go. Winning the war in your mind. How many of you guys have been here with us throughout the series? Yeah, great. We got a lot of new faces then. Um, tonight's message, <clears throat> actually, even works out great with our, our guest tonight. Uh, I'm keeping tonight's message super, super simple. Uh, incredibly simple message. We're really going to live into really one scripture and one portion of the scripture. Um, but it's one of those messages to where it's almost, it's almost so simple that we can miss it. Like, I guarantee you guys will feel the pain points and even feel the, the false ways we've gone about this, but uh, the, the simplicity of where we're going tonight um, almost has an abstraction to it, but I, I promise you we're, we're actually going to have some time to live into it tonight, and I promise you uh, that if you take this and actually live into to this, it will, it will transform your life. This has been uh, a huge, huge tool within this topic uh, in my life, and I'll share a small bit of my story uh, as we go tonight. So before we dive in, let me just pray as we go into this. Father, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our midst, what you have been doing in our midst, and what you will continue to do in our midst. Jesus, you are king here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. It's our joy to be here. And God, we ask that you would lead us and guide us as we continue to, 
to press into these, these deep topics like winning the, the battle of our mind, winning the war in our head. Uh, God, you know the, the depths to which uh, uh, our life is pained by the struggle of the, the wrestling of the mind. In Jesus, you have the solution. In fact, you are the solution. And we just thank you. We thank you that you have made us victorious that you have given us tools, you have given us promises, you have given us your word to lead us and guide us uh, as we go through this. And we say, have your way. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our lives. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. So, 2 Corinthians, we're going to be going 10 through... uh, Chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, or 3 through 6, sorry. It starts off, Paul's talking here, he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to demolish strongholds or destroy strongholds. I have an entire another uh, message that I was, I was planning on bringing. I was going to break down strongholds, but it's one of those passion points for me. And I said, there's no way that I would do it. And my students are laughing. They're like, there's no way Nick would do that in under an hour. Uh, so I'm going to skip over that, although my heart wants to burst forward and tell you guys about strongholds. But we go on. Paul continues on. So he just got done saying, our weapons for this warfare, the warfare is the battle of the mind. Our weapons are not fleshly. But they are divine and powerful for demolishing strongholds. And he goes on, verses 5 through 6. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Say every thought captive. Every thought captive. To, obedience of Christ. to obedience of Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. I want to press into this portion tonight of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, Such a crucial part. I would say that uh, take the rest of this and do your own study. Go and look up what a stronghold is. Paul actually gives us a, a definition here, which is every lofty ideal or opinion that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. So you already get a picture there. Strongholds are things that come with lies that we tend to hide behind and we try and comfort ourselves with and all these different movements, but he continues on and says, we demolish these things by the way we take our thoughts captive. But remember, these are divine tools and not fleshly tools. Now, at the same time, I guarantee you, all of you guys have experienced the fleshly tools or the humanistic tools that we typically try to use to overcome the battlefield of our mind, the thought process of our mind. So if we look at the weapons of the flesh, uh, there's two main weapons. And could there be other weapons? Absolutely. I'm sure there's plenty of other things that work out in here. But if we look at these two, it will encapsulate most of what we typically try to do on our own. And the first one is suppression through avoidance and denial. You guys know that feeling, right? The, the lustful thought comes up and you're like, ah, no, <laughs> right? And, and part of that is good, but all of you also know the, 
the result of that. It doesn't actually pay out. It doesn't actually help for anything. And we'll talk about that here a little bit more in a second. The second is wrestling into submission. So if, if we don't try avoiding, then sometimes if, if passivity hasn't worked, sometimes we go into aggression and we try and like arm wrestle this thing. We say, all right, thought, temptation, idea, you know, fear, let's, let's do this thing. And we try that as well. And we end up wrestling it and wrestling with it and wrestling with it. And that typically happens at like 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> and you're, you're in bed and you're like, I can't just put it off. It just keeps coming back. So now I'm just going to sit here and mull it over and try and get it into submission this way. Um, but neither of these really work. And I think by the laughter I heard during this is you guys go, oh, yeah, I've been there. And yeah, that doesn't work. In fact, it's frustrating, right? So I want to I kind of break these two uh, down for a moment. Um, so the first one, the, the suppression or the avoidance, right? We try and avoid something. You, you, this could be called like the, the purple elephant, right? Don't, don't think about a purple, purple elephant, right? Or don't think about an elephant that raises its trunk and <laughs> waves at us. Uh, the Russian Christian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky uh, had this, this quote that actually spurred forward some very serious study. Dostoevsky says, Try to pose for yourself this task, not to think of a polar bear, and you will see that cursed thing come to mind every minute. Try to, try to pose for yourself this task, not to think of a polar bear, and you will see that the cursed thing will come to mind every minute. And I want to I just pause, if you guys would, we're going to do a couple different exercises tonight, but the first one is, um, we're going to do a one-minute exercise. And I, I want to take Dostoevsky's words to his, you know, to man of his word. Let's try it out. We're going to take one minute, I'm going to time us out, and during this one minute, I don't want you to think, please do not think, I, like, I forbid you to think of a polar bear, one polar bear, two polar bears. Not one hour, one minute. <laughs> so in this next minute, and, and if you do, if you have notes, maybe keep tally for how many times you think of a polar bear, uh, but, but don't think of a polar bear, okay? So we're going to start one minute. Do not think of this polar bear, okay? Three, two, I won't say polar bear after this, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, don't worry, I will not say polar bear at all in this one minute, but for this one minute, do not think of a polar bear, and go. <laughs> We've still got 45 seconds left, so I hope you have not thought, I won't say it, but...
All right. <laughs> All right, be honest. Did you think of a polar bear? Yes? No? Hey, all right. We got, we, yeah. <laughs> so he goes, yeah, right. We know who the liars are. <laughs> How many guys, you thought of a polar bear at least once in there. How many guys, you're like, okay, it's more than 10 times I thought of a polar bear. Yeah. Thank you, Dostoevsky. That thought process in Dostoevsky's, uh, quote there actually spurred forward a research that ended up coining the terminology ironic process theory. And there was actually, it, it was called the white bear uh, research. Um, so they, they would bring people in and they would do that exact type of, of thing. And in fact, the way that they, they kind of labeled it out was they had random people come in and they said, for five minutes, we just want you to talk about life. And then once they got to the end of that, they didn't introduce polar bears at all, and they weren't talking about polar bears. No, nobody brought up polar bear in the, the average talk about their life. And then they said, okay, over the next five minutes, we want you to tell us about your life again, but we don't want you to think about a polar bear or a white bear. And, and any time you would think about a white bear, as you're describing your life to us, you have to hit the bell. And they found that on average, there is at least 15 bell rings in five minutes. They just got done five minutes before doing the exact same thing, never thinking of a polar bear. But as soon as it was introduced and they were told not to think of it, they ended up thinking about a polar bear. The interesting thing is, uh, then when they were told to talk about polar bears after that, <laughs> they didn't talk about polar bears, they just thought of it. But when they were told to think or to talk about polar bears after that, uh, even the person that they came in that they said, hey, your first uh, line of business isn't five minutes of just telling us about your life. It's actually five minutes of telling us about polar bears. Well, the person who wasn't supposed to think about a polar bear, the next time when they were actually told to talk about polar bears, had significantly more to talk about <laughs> the next time around. Because in the avoidance of thinking the thought actually came up at such heightened frequency that by the time that they were told to talk about it, it was actually just bursting forward out of them. And, and what they ended up calling this is the ironic rebound, right? And, and you've, I'm certain you guys have heard, and I think maybe even it's been shared with us recently here at Access, but you, you've ever seen or heard the, the analogy of taking a, a beach ball and then like putting it under the water? Right? And then it like it pops back up. I actually found a picture of a polar bear putting a beach ball under the water, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. I was just like, beach ball underwater. And all of a sudden, a polar bear came up. And I said, even when I wasn't looking for him, he came up. <laughs> but this, this whole aspect of the ironic rebound, they, they said, it's what you try to suppress, this is the, the definition, rebounds up more intensely. So when you, when you try and just dismiss a thought or you try and push something away, it actually rebounds up more intentionally. In fact, there's, there's an actual part of our brain, and I don't have all the, the terminology to label to you guys, but there's an actual part of our brain that when we tell ourselves not to do something, that part constantly goes back to check whether or not we're doing that thing. But as that thing goes back to check whether or not we're doing that thing, it actually spurs forth the thought of that thing. 
So the very action of saying, don't think about that, is actually set us up for failure because then it sets us moving forward with that part of our mind constantly going, well, did you think about that thing? Well, I didn't until you asked. <laughs> and now you asked, and now I have to try to not think about it. And it, it starts going rapidly. It, how many of you guys have ever fasted? You can raise it. I know what scripture. You could raise your hand. It's okay if you're if you're fasting right now. You don't have to raise your hand. But if you've ever fasted, you know that this happens. To where you go, I don't think about Doritos, you know, or don't think about. For me, it's like steak or brisket, you know. Uh, but you end up thinking about it, right? It ends up popping back up, and and then more frequently, to the point to where you're like, I can't take it any longer. And how many of you guys have ever? You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you guys have ever broken a fast? I will raise my hand because it ended up rebounding back up, and I just couldn't get away from it. I was like, I broke into the pantry, and I'm like, <laughs> just a madman. <laughs> the ironic process theory in motion. Thank you, polar bears. So obviously, trying to not think about our thoughts isn't working. That's a, a strategy of the flesh, as Paul says. The next is wrestling and overpowering. Like I said, we, we sometimes end up in this in the middle of the night when we're trying to, to wrestle the thought. Uh, this could be all sorts of different things. It's not always temptation. I, I tried to keep this as broad of a topic to where this, this does cover temptation, but it also covers fears. It also covers lies. It also covers um, even traumatic experiences. If you've ever uh, had maybe a car accident and all of a sudden you find yourself replaying that car accident uh, at some point, you're like, man, I just want to get out of that thing. I want to be free from that thing. And you just, you're, you're wrestling with it. And you're going, I know, like, logically, I know that I'm safe when I get into a car and I go forward. But this thing keeps coming back. Well, we end up kind of wrestling ourselves into a, a state of exhaustion. And then when you do put temptation into this, the, the interesting thing about our willpower is it will actually work for a little bit. You could wrestle something for, for 10, 15 minutes and actually have it, like, leave you. I'm going to go and do something else, you know, and, and, and you go, and for that 10 to 15 minutes it happens, but this also has a bit of a rebound, but the issue is here, when it's almost like an arm wrestling match with myself, I end up depleting the energy of my will. So the very tool that I used to overcome 15 minutes ago is now actually depleted when the temptation comes back up now. And all of a sudden you go, wait a second, I just experienced a victory a minute ago. And all of a sudden I find myself doing the thing right now that I was able to not do a little while ago. It's because we've already exerted all that we could in that area. Does that make sense? Again, I, I don't have to ask. I know that you guys have been there, and, and maybe even quite frequently. So these are, are tools that obviously don't win. Another way that we could say this is, is trying to do it on our own accord. Paul, when he's talking to the Galatians, he's writing this letter, and he, he's talking to them about their spiritual growth, and he says, who has bewitched you at the beginning of Galatians 3? You know, Paul at his finest, right? Just the sharp tongue. Who has bewitched you? And he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you're trying to be perfected in the flesh? The, the consequences that come from, from us using these tools is actually 
it also plays into us trying to be a better us on our own accord. We might even, often when we're, we're doing that arm wrestling match, often when we're trying to exert our will as good Christians, we may also be incorporating Scripture in there. We might think that, and this is part of my story, I had, I had some deep fear of failing as a husband years ago. At the, well, it still pops up from now and then, if I'm honest. But it was heavy at the beginning of Emily and my marriage. And my tactic for battling this war in my mind was to take the scriptures that I knew and to try and just beat the living daylights out of that fear, <laughs> you know? I mean, you guys been there? Like, I know the scripture. I know the verse. And I am wielding that thing like a mighty bat, you know? <laughs> just <laughs> and, it, and then all of a sudden, it pops back up. The issue with my fear was it was popping back up in things like anger or uh, me literally just running away. I, I told my students this, but there was times it was the most ridiculous thing. This is what unresolved fear will do is there was times where I literally, Emily was driving and I, she would stop at a stop sign. We're, and I, we're in like the argument or disagreement and I would just feel the fear of failing as a husband. And I would open up the door and I would just run. <laughs> like nowhere. Most of the time it was like Domino's parking lots. I'm like, where am I running to? I don't know. But this is what happens when the fear is trying to be suppressed or I'm trying to just pummel it with all the scriptures and it doesn't actually pay out well. I, it just shows up in a different way. Because when I try and do it on my own accord, nothing works out. In fact, I, I end up making a larger mess at the end of the day. Now I have to explain to my wife why I just ran out into Domino's parking lot. That's an awkward conversation. <laughs> you talk about fear of failing as a husband, <laughs> just run out a car door. Anyway, does that make sense? And I remember sitting down, and I remember exactly where it was. It was at Red Geranium over on Byron Center uh, with Pastor Matt Schmucker back when he was on staff here. Uh, and he said exactly that. He goes, Nick, how do you think you're going to overcome this fear? Do you, do you think... You trying to battle this fear and you trying to wrestle it into submission is actually you taking it into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. I was like, I don't know what else to do. That's the only thing that's felt right so far because I got scriptures and I just beat it with scriptures. He goes, how is that working for you? I said, Domino's parking lot, yeah, right? And it was actually Matt who, who kind of opened this up for me and introduced me to uh, a different way. So again, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 through 6, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of who? Christ. We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I was using Christ's tools trying to take every thought captive to the obedience of Nick. And it doesn't, thank you. <laughs> and it didn't play out too well. The thought, the thought doesn't do well to the obedience of Nick. And you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And this is where it's so simple that we could almost miss it. It's such a, a, a simple shift because we're still using, like, I was still using the same scriptures. 
It was just, where was I bringing it to? Was I trying to wrestle it out so then I can, I can overcome the fear, overcome the temptation, overcome these different things? Or was I actually bringing it over to Christ? So here's my first main point. Bring the thought to Christ and allow Him to bring it under submission. Bring the thought to Christ. And I put there, this is through both prayer and Scripture. Bring the thought to Christ and allow Him to do the work of taking it into submission. Allow Christ to lead the way. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. I I have some great questions for you when you bring these things over to Christ in order to be able to to start getting some better tools, some, some divine tools to demolish strongholds and to actually equip you to overcome in a beautiful way. So to to kind of restate that, replace the thought or temptation with Christ's thought on the matter. So how does does Christ take it into submission? By his word. Now he gives you his thought on the matter. And and yes, that is scripture, but this is almost like how we do Lectio Divina or or the different movements that we go into scripture. And when we we read scripture, we also want scripture to be read to us by the Holy Spirit. So when, when Christ brings me to a tool to demolish that stronghold, a tool to come against the temptation, a tool to resist the enemy, a tool to actually... Uh, restructure my mindset away from the systems and processes of the world, I want to have that tool in the way Christ wants me to have that tool. So when I get there, I bring it right back to Jesus and I go, okay, now what do I do with that? Lest I take the tool he gives me and I run forward with a new bat. (laughs) That make sense? And all of a sudden, what does this do? Where is it? There we go. It actually brings our thoughts and temptations that we experience into conversations with God. You ever considered that? That the thoughts and temptations that you have been battling with are actually the greatest, one of the greatest opportunities that you have to be able to commune with the Trinitarian Godhead. Sometimes we allow them to bring us into shame. That actually allows us to hide from the Godhead. We don't need to do that. It's actually the best thing that we do. In fact, what we do in that instance is we actually recommit what Adam and Eve did in the garden in the first place. When the tempter comes in, he puts a, a, a thought into their mind to get them to go contrary to how God has directed them. The most amazing thing that could have happened in that moment is for them to actually go, hold that thought, you weird serpent. (laughs) Papa, (laughs) what do you want to say about this? And yet we have that invitation. We actually, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. That even when our thoughts and our temptations are grotesque, we can actually boldly Approach the throne of grace, and God is waiting for us, eagerly going, yes, bring it here, because I know what to do with that. 
I can reveal to you the lie that that is. I can reveal to you the falsity that it is. I, I can show you that, that thing that's been tormenting you, that happened to you when you were a child. I can show you exactly where I was in that moment and actually bring comfort to that thing. But I can't do that if you just try and do your own thing with it over here. So I said it's almost so simple that we miss it. It, It's literally, like, I was thinking about it. I was like, how funny. I'm I'm literally preaching the message of, like, let go and let God. (laughs) Like, (laughs) in the world. But it's true. We, We bring it over to him. We let it go into his hands. And then we let him tell us what to do next. As cliche as it can be, it's still effective. So what does that look like? looks like bringing it over and saying, Jesus, what do you want to say about this? And again, these questions are, are intended to be uh, in, in somewhat of a broad way. Many of them will work for temptation. Many of them will work for fear. Many of them will work for trauma. Many of them will work for uh, confusions and all sorts of different movements like that. But Jesus, what do you want to say about this? And then just give them space to be able to do that. Again, we want to, this is in congruence with this word. We don't just want to like leave a dusty Bible on our shelf and go and hear from God. We want to search these things out, but then we go, Jesus, what do you want to say about this? Where does this come from? Great question to ask when a temptation comes. Pause, temptation. I'm going to bring this over to God. God, what's happening here? Where does this actually come from? And God says, oh, you're actually, you're wounded because you were rejected at work earlier today. Now you're seeking something else out to try and fill a void that isn't going to fill it in the, in the long run. All of a sudden, now you have amazing information. And then you go, well, what fills that void? (laughs) And God goes, let me show you. What have you done about this? Christ's work on the cross completed. It is finished. What have you done? What have you secured for me? What victory am I living from? And you let him show you. How have you equipped me to overcome this? There's no struggle, there's no trial, there's no temptation that God allows us to experience that he hasn't always also given us his spirit to overcome and to come out of. And then a very important one, even if you get all those other questions, extremely important is, how should I proceed? How should I proceed? Often, it looks like God going, Stop worrying about this. <laughs> you know, now you, can, now you can actually release thinking about it, not because you're telling yourself to not think about it, but because you've actually interacted with me around the subject and you know what I'm doing in it. So now you can move forward in confidence that I'm taking care of what only I could take care of. It's much different than just avoidance. It's much different than trying to beat it into submission. It's actually in obedience to Christ, <laughs> Right? Like, Paul in in 2 Corinthians here is using war language. When you take a captive into obedience, you relinquish it over to those who are watching the captive and doing what they know to do with captives, and then you move forward on mission. (laughs) 
You imagine moving forward on mission, then constantly going, oh, I need to go back and check on. No, you don't. You just move forward on mission. Go, well, how should I proceed? What are you calling me into from here? What does this look like? This is just a, a, a dynamic with the Lord that all of a sudden, now temptation almost becomes exciting. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to commune with the Father. <laughs> like, <laughs> Trust me, too. I'll tell you from my own personal experience. After, after you start learning to do something like this, the enemy stops tempting you in those ways because he goes, I, I, every time I tempt him, it just drives him to the Father. <laughs> this is ridiculous. One more time through this. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take what thoughts? Every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is the key. You train for combat through a training camp, not on the battle lines. Pastor Duane would say it this way uh, with his, his amazing story about a boat going down. He goes, you learn to swim before the boat's going down. <laughs> like, you don't wait until the boat's going down to go, okay, well, how do you do the doggy paddle, you know? Like, you, you train all that beforehand. Emily and I, years ago in Montana, uh, we, we were, everybody was jumping off this, like, platform into this amazing, like, crystal clear lake on the top of a mountain. And our friends had just gotten uh, engaged on that mountain. We were just like, man, this is so awesome. We get up to the top of this platform. We're looking over, and I go, you ready? Yeah. And we jump over, and all of a sudden, Emily realizes as she's going down, I don't know how to swim. <laughs> I had no clue about that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't know that my wife didn't know how to swim. Like, in my mind, I go, we've been in Lake Michigan so many times. But then I was like, we've never gone out more than, like, waist level. So I guess I just, so in the moment, I had to, I had to save her. You don't learn to swim as you're jumping over. You, I almost died. I came up, and then I went down. Oh, but the Lord, he's faithful. That's the point of that story. Okay. You train for combat through a training camp not on the battle lines. So before we ever get to the point to where we're taking every uh, demonic thought, every tormenting thought, every tempting thought, every accusing thought, uh, every lie captive, we start with just taking joy captive to the obedience of Christ. Love captive to the obedience of Christ. Like we take things that we know are even good and we still bring them back over to the Lord. It's amazing to see what he does with that. I, I was leading a, a young boy years ago at kids camp in, in just a hearing God exercise. His first time, buddy, have you ever heard from God? His name is Derek. He goes, I don't know. I said, well, let's try. So I go, ask God, what, he, what does he think about you? And he goes, or ask God how much he loves you. So he goes, God, how much do you love me? He goes, a lot. Wonderful. Sounds like God. Uh, now let's take that same thing back to him and say, specifically, how much do you love me? And he sits there and he's, he's young, right? Kids camp, so he's kind of stumbling over the word. Specifically, God, how much do you love me? And all of a sudden he starts bawling. I go, buddy, what's going on? 
He said more than 100%. And all of a sudden, I'm bawling. I'm like, whoa, it's the best revelation ever. This is what happens when we take the thing that we know God has said back to him. He, he represents it to us in a profound way that then shifts us, changes us, transforms us. How amazing. So I want to, uh, like I said, we're going to do these two activations. We did the one a minute ago. I'm not thinking about polar bears. We're moving beyond that. Uh, <laughs> If you do end up thinking about a polar bear, bring it to the Lord and say, God, what do you want to say about this? <laughs> you might be surprised, like I was when I found that photo of the anyway. Uh, but we're gonna take we're gonna take five minutes here. Well, I'll say we're gonna take three minutes here. Now, we're gonna do uh, a spiritual discipline called silence and solitude. But this is one of those places to where often in silence and solitude we end up experiencing a flood of thoughts. Sometimes great thoughts, like, man, my raise is coming up this week. That's a, that's a great thought, like celebrationable. Sometimes terrible thoughts, right? All of a sudden, an ex pops into your mind, and you're like, what the heck? I haven't seen her in 10 years, or I don't know, probably not 10 years for you guys. You guys are much younger than me. I haven't seen her in a year. I'm constantly learning, thanks to you guys over here, how, how old I actually am. Um, but... As thoughts come, you're not trying to muster up thoughts, but you don't have to. As thoughts come, as you're just sitting in silence, just bring those thoughts. As silly as it might be, like, do I have an eraser on my pencil? Bring that before the Lord and say, Jesus, what do you have to say about this? And just see what he does. I'm going to give three minutes. Uh, I'll put even some of these questions back up. Um, I realize I did it on my screen here, but... Um, and, and just work through some of those questions. But three minutes of silence and solitude, and just we're, we're going to boot camp. And go.
and stop. I mean, don't stop taking your thoughts captive, but stop the exercise. So here's the thing. If you did, how many guys would say, I, I took at least two thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ right there. Like, just brought it before. Even if you didn't hear anything, just that movement alone is already a movement in the right direction. Again, this is something we are practicing. We call them spiritual practices because they take time to learn. They take time to practice. But I encourage you, if you're, you're driving in the car and you just recognize, or if you're in the shower, a great place for silence and solitude, and you recognize things coming tonight as you're laying in bed, again, that's one of those times where our body has stopped and all of a sudden our mind catches up and, and just floods us with all sorts of stuff. Take those thoughts captive. Just bring them before the Lord. And if you don't hear anything, at least you're bringing them to Christ. Fix your eyes on, on his face and, and see what he wants to do for those things. Is that good? Yes. Awesome. Can we put the, the discipleship slide up? I just want to uh, give a, a small little plug here, um, especially within this realm and in this topic. Um, we do a lot of teachings in the discipleship program, but um, if you're new around here and you haven't heard about the program, it's a nine-month program. Uh, we start in August and we go through, uh, we finish right at the beginning of May. Uh, and we just meet on Mondays here at the church. We have a lot of people who are in college that are still able to uh, attend the class. We have a lot of people that are working full-time, that their work is able to work around those, those Mondays. Um, but we just take 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. on Mondays for nine months to really dive into what does it look like to know God, to know his heart for me, to know his heart for others, and to just step into that mission and calling uh, of of kingdom life, with God life, going into the world. So we equip young people to be able to, to step forward into whatever area they're going into, uh, whether it's in ministry or whether it's dentistry, um, to be able to carry the kingdom of God with them wherever they go. Um, that starts up this August. Our applications are open. This is the first time we are presenting it to you guys this year. Uh, and I want to say that we're offering, we're right now in the early bird pricing, so it's $250 off, um, but we're going to be in the back. Anybody that signs up tonight, you don't have to sign up here, but if you sign up before the end of the night, we're going to give you another $50 off uh, your tuition price, just as a, an extra incentive as we introduce it this first time around. Um, but it's amazing. Any of our students that are in here, just raise your hand. We have just incredible, incredible students. Um, yeah, give these guys a hand. We've had 66 students through. This will be going into our seventh year of the program. Uh, and it's just one of my ultimate, ultimate joys is to be able to lead and do life with these students and watch them grow and flourish and then send them off to do amazing kingdom things. So uh, if you're interested, please swing by the booth afterwards. We would love to, uh, to talk with you guys. But otherwise... Uh